Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you again. It's always good to see you for School of the Word as we gather together each Sunday morning. Remember, the last class of this session of the School of the Word will be December 16th, and then we'll begin again probably about the second Sunday in January. Uh, that allows everyone to have a little time off with all the activities and the busyness of the season, kind of relax, recuperate, and come on back with zeal and uh, passion. And when we come back, as hopefully you do all the time, I'm really hoping that all of you are out there within the congregation being evangelists for the study of the Word. Uh, I am just of the ilk that this is a, as significant as anything and everything else we do on a Sunday morning. And I will never be satisfied until every single person who calls Lakeview Christian Center is in this class. So I know I have a little way to go, but I'm so glad that all of you are here this morning. And thank you for your, your persistence and your steadiness in attending this class. Well, this morning, let's open our Bibles as we continue to go through John's letter, first letter of John. 1 John chapter 3 this morning, verses 11 to 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. <clears throat> Let me read these verses as we prepare our hearts to go into the material. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Father, Father, these are challenging words to us. But Father, we thank you that you have given us this word of life so that through the hearing of the word, faith came to us. Faith to say no to sin and yes to you in Christ. And Father, faith continues to be engendered and matured and active in us as by your Spirit and through your Spirit and with your Spirit, you take the Word and apply it to our minds and our hearts, causing it to become in us a living stream, a rushing river of water. Father, not just something that we know intellectually, but that which we know intellectually because we have learned and we have understood certain facts of the Word, but it's becoming our life 
is becoming the very fabric of who we are. So, Father, continue this great work as we continue to study your word. As we hear it here, as we hear it in the sermon this morning, as we hear it as we worship, Father, as we hear it and see it in one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you remember last week we were looking at verses 4 to 10, and remember how verses 4 to 10 ended? Because what John is doing is obviously he's connecting verses together and he's connecting thoughts together. And if we're not careful, when we read the Word, we can easily forget what was last week and then kind of section the Word off in just sections. But this, is an, this Word of God, as in all the letters, this is a complete unified Word. And so as we study 1 John or as we study any part of the Word of God, especially in the epistles, Never consider these as things to be taught, issues in and of themselves. But think of them and see them as a complete context, a complete understanding of what God is saying as a unit. Everything coming together and everything flowing together in unity, everything being connected together, nothing being disjointed, even though sometimes it may feel that that is not connected to this. There is the connection. And so last week in verse 10, this is what we read. Whoever does not practice righteousness. Now, all of us want to practice righteousness, amen? We remember what righteousness means. Righteousness has to do with God himself, his own rightness. When the Bible talks about righteousness, it is talking about who God is in himself, in every category, in every way, in every decision, in every thought, in every attitude, in everything that he does, everything that he does not do, everything he says, everything he does not say, etc., etc. Everything about our God is right. And so righteousness is the encapsulation of the very character of God. And so when the Bible talks about our righteousness, practicing righteousness, we're talking about living in a way from the righteous one, infusing us with his righteousness. And as we experience that righteousness, living it out or expressing that righteousness to the world. So that when the world sees us, when they hear us, when they know anything about us, what they're seeing and hearing and knowing is the righteousness of God the revelation of who our God is. And so John says, hey, whoever practices, does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And all of a sudden now, John has done something, has connected something into this righteousness, taking it out of the realm of theology, taking it out of the realm of doctrine, taking it out of the realm of the ethereal and putting it right in front of us and making it very practical on a daily relational basis. And so in verse 10, John equates our practice of righteousness with our loving the brethren. And so what we're going to hear this morning is, and continuing next week, is an exposition of righteousness being the proof proved by our loving the brethren. 
that if we are a righteous people, if we are the children of God, one of the primary proofs, do we love the brethren? And as we go through this this morning, let us not go through it just as a class. I'm getting information, I'm taking notes, and that's wonderful. But I would like you to do this. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because as we talk about this issue this week and next week, and then when we go back into it in chapter 4, if you listen to the voice of God, you're going to hear him say to some of you, not all of us, but to some, you remember, and a name's going to come into your mind. Or two names are going to come into your mind. A group of people are going to come into your mind. And you're going to be challenged. I'm supposed to embrace him, her, after what he, she did, said, acted. I don't know about that. I want you to be aware of this. Let's not make this just a class and a Sunday school class where we learn something. Hallelujah, amen, praise Jesus, and walk out of here and forget it until next week. This is a very practical daily thing. He's talking about if we say we are righteous, the quintessential proof of that is how we relate to one another, especially how we relate to those that are difficult to relate to. Now, I say that because I'm the easiest person in the world to relate to. My wife can tell you that. I'm Mr. Easy. But some of you are difficult to relate to. Those of you who don't know me, I just lied. No. <laughs> so I need to repent. <laughs> and so let's, let's look at this. Verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Remember, John says, hey, look, if you're not practicing righteousness, you ain't of God, and you're not loving the brethren. Righteousness and loving the brethren are co-equal because both are existing in God together. So this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, that you love one another. You see, John begins by telling us that the connection of righteousness and loving the brethren is not a new idea. This is not something new that he just put together. This is a message that they have been listening to and hearing. Because what John is really doing here, he's reiterating what he has heard Jesus say on many occasions. And so John is just bringing the word and the command and the lifestyle of Christ himself into the teaching to say, we are children of God. We are brethren with Christ. And as he loved us, so also we are to love one another. Remember in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest of all the commandments? The greatest of all the commandments. That command that sums up everything that God has in the great Pentateuch, the great law of God. And Jesus quotes, remember, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall Love the Lord your God. That's the great Shema, the great command of Israel, which is still repeated by Jewish believers all over the world continually. That's the great command. But you remember, he didn't stop by quoting that. 
he says, this is the great and the first command. He says, but the second is similar to it or like unto it or is connected to it or is the outgrowth or the expression of that command. And so after he has quoted from Deuteronomy 6, 4, he connects it and he quotes from Leviticus 19, 18. And he says, love God with all of your heart and your mind, your soul and your strength. How do I know if I'm doing that? Love your neighbor as you are currently loving yourself. Now, let's be careful. There is a movement out there that sloppily looks at the word and says, we are to love ourselves. That is not what Jesus said. He said there are two commands, love God, love neighbor. If you're supposed to love yourself, that's a third command, and it is, in there. It is not in there. What he's saying is each one of us are born into the world with the ability and the need to be passionate lovers of ourselves. None of us have to be taught to love ourselves. The moment that child doesn't get fed, all of a sudden you hear screams and yells. The moment that child doesn't get to do what he or she wants to do, all of a sudden yells and screams. Why? Because I love myself so much that if you do anything to inhibit me, I am going to be aggressive against you. And we carry that into our adult life. And still some of us are yelling and screaming, but most of us are doing it other ways. Jesus says you love yourself completely. He says now love for God is to be that kind of love. And we are to love God that way. And if we love God that way and as we love him that way, having experienced that from him, we will be loving others. So he takes that word and extends it into our very daily lives. Listen to Jesus' emphasis on loving the brethren <clears throat> as proof, as proof of your being a disciple. You see, because if you want to know whether you're really born again, it is significant. Yeah, did you ever make a decision to receive Christ? Yes, well, that's important. But the emphasis is rarely there in the Bible. The emphasis is on the proof of it. What are you doing? Do you believe in the person and work of Christ? Biblically understand and believe that. He's the Son of God who came and died on the cross for our redemption. Are you obeying the Word of God? And are you loving God and the brethren? Those are the three proofs that John, remember, lays down to determine whether we are really the children of God, really fellowshipping with God. So listen to the emphasis that Jesus gives to loving one another. And I have a whole bunch of Bible references there, but I put them all together. I want to read them as a paragraph. So here, this is the word of the Lord in, chapter, in John in various places in the uh, Gospel of John. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest, manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Look at the emphasis. Look at the emphasis of the Lord Jesus. This is a greater emphasis than what we would think. What, would the, what is the primary emphasis of Christ in my life? What is the primary issue that God is desiring to develop in me as a believer? What is it? That the love that the Father has for the Son is now being given to us as we are in Christ and being loved by God the Father with the very same passion, intensity, and eternality and consistency with which the Father loves the Son. We are now in that love, that same love, not part of it, not most of it, but exactly the same love that the Father has for the Son. We are now experiencing and we are the rich recipients of that love. And that love for the Son is reciprocated by the Son to the Father as He has come to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin, dying for the church, dying for the people of God so that God would have a people in whom His love is clearly manifested and is flowing among them as the atmosphere flows among us. And so the quintessential Revelation, I believe the quintessential desire and purpose of God as we are His image upon the earth is this, that we are to love one another the same way the Father loves the Son and the same way the Son has loved us. That's, I believe, the heart of what God is producing in us as the images of God. Now, most of us don't think that way, do we? Now, come on, do we? how many of us really think that's, that's it? This is probably new thought for a whole lot of us, but that is it in a nutshell. Everything else in a practical way will be a function of this and a product of this and a revelation of this. That we are to love one another with the same love that the Father loves the Son and that the Son has loved us. We are to love one another. Now that to me is earth-shaking, is shattering. Because there's no other religion in all the world that is like this. This is the most unique theology upon the earth. Why? Because it's truth, because it's from God. It is from the true and living God. In fact, in the New Testament epistles, there are more, more than 50 references in the other epistles concerning loving one another. More than 50 references. It would be good if you would go through these and begin to look at these and just list the one another, loving one another, caring for one another, ministering to one another, you know, whatever one another, other, another, another, you know, with one another, that whole concept of a corporate life. In fact, Paul in Romans 13.10 takes Jesus' teaching and summarizes it this way. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You want to know if you're keeping the commandments of God? You want to know if you are fulfilling the law? Do you and I love one another the same way Jesus loves us? 
Now this, this should be a real challenge. Anybody being challenged by this? Anybody in here realizing I, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing as well in this as I should? Anybody in here? Am I the only one who experiences failure in this? This is challenging. You see, it's easier just to say, don't curse and don't commit adultery, don't chew tobacco and don't drink. Okay, don't do any of those things. That's right, don't do any of them. Drink, alcohol, no, no, don't do any of them. Just stay away from all of that which would be unwise for you. But loving one another, man, shish, you just don't know how that other person treats me. You don't know what they've done to me, said to me. You don't know how disappointed I've been. You don't know how many times I've tried to do an evening. Jesus died for each one of us who were in himself and herself, each one of us, the worst perpetrators of rebellion and sin that could happen. And he died that we could have eternal life. So there is no excuse not to love the brethren. Is there any reason? Anybody have a reason why you shouldn't be loving someone? That person that is in your mind right now? Anybody at all have a reason that we can go with and go to God and say, hey, God, of all the things you know, you forgot this one. Here it is, the one reason. This is why it shouldn't happen for this person. No, there's not there. Because God has loved the most unlovely into his kingdom. How many of us are glad that God has loved the most unlovely? Anybody in here thankful? Then we should be that passionate to extend that love to others. See, John says, I'm just repeating that which has been said from the beginning. This is not a new commandment. Jesus has been talking about this a lot of times when he was on earth. Now, why is loving the brethren so important? It is the expression of our fellowship with God. It is the vital, clear, practical, in-your-face, on-the-ground, day-by-day, visible proof of what the fellowship that God has within himself is all about. Remember what we said. This is not just, you should love one another. Why? Because God said so. Why? Because it's right. Why? Because it's good. Why? Because you should. Those are true. But there's something underpinning that. Why to love one another? Because our loving one another is our co-participation in the very love that God has within himself between the Father and the Son by the Spirit. That's why we're to do this, and that's why we want to do this. This is why we pursue doing this. It's not why we have to do it. It's not why we better do it. It's why I want to do it. Because if I am experiencing that extraordinary love that God has within himself, if I'm experiencing that, my heartbeat, my passion, my thoughts, my goal, my intentions, my everything should be toward doing whatever is necessary to love the brethren. Why? Because God's passion, his thoughts, his goal, 
His intention is toward loving us. So that's why I should do the same. Because I'm a child of God. I am now related to this God who is the God of love. You see, it is for this purpose that we were saved. This is the reason God saved us. So that we would be the vessels of the declaration, the demonstration, the manifestation of the most unique issue there is about God. Remember what I said. What is the most unique, most critical, and most central truth there is about God? What is that one thing that is most vitally truth and central about God? What is it? That our God is not a single-person God, but that He is a tri-person God. And our God exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an atmosphere and a community of love. That's the most significant thing that there is about God. Everything else is as a consequence of that and the outworking of that issue. We serve the real God. The real God. And how would the world know this real God? Except they see him in the activities on earth among us that display the atmosphere, if you would, of the community of God himself. You see, such love is God's righteous love at work in us and through us. This is the love that should control us and constrain us and direct us. Well, before continuing to discuss and unpack this love for brethren, John warns us against the practice of unrighteous love. Because if there is a righteous love, what does that presuppose? There is an unrighteous love. If there is a righteous love, there is an unrighteous love. And so he wants to tell us and warn us against relating to one another in the kind of attitude that Cain related and expressed toward his brother Abel with anger, jealousy, bitterness, any of these kinds of attitudes of unrighteous love. Because it, it's among us. It's among us. Verse 12, we should not love, we should not be like Cain. All of a sudden, he said, if you are experiencing any level of jealousy and anger and frustration and impatience and et cetera and et cetera about a brother or a sister, you're beginning to live like Cain. Do you hear it? Now, let us test ourselves in this. Let us not let this go past. Yeah, Cain and Abel, guess who, what happened? You know, no, no, no. That's not what this is about. This is about me hearing from God and letting him touch me in my attitudes and feelings and activities about you people. <laughs> and you people about me <laughs> and about one another. And so as you're taking notes, take notes from the Holy Spirit. If the name Jane comes up to your mind and you know you had that attitude, write a name down in your notes and say later, Father, I need to let you know about this. You know it. I'm going to confess this. I want you to overcome it. If somebody, Sam comes to your name, 
Brenda, Henry, daddy, mama, son, daughter, cousin, whoever. Write these things down in your notes. Do it as the Holy Spirit gives you revelation today because if you don't do it today, the devil will take it away. That's good poetry. I didn't know I was a poet. Seriously, if you don't do it today, the devil's going to take it away and you're going to be sitting tomorrow not remembering who I am. Be hearing dynamically with the Holy Spirit. This is vital to us. We should not love like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now that should immediately say, every time you and I are practicing righteous love, we're going to get it from somebody. Somebody is not going to like us condemning them because we are of Christ, all right? Now you haven't said a word, you haven't done anything, but just the simple fact that you are the righteous one, you are of the righteous one himself, is a condemnation to others. Remember Jesus said, if I had not come, they would not have known or been aware of sin. So the presence of light into a dark room scatters the roaches. Now, Mika, everybody in New Orleans knows what that means. The longer you live here, you're going to find out what roaches are all about here. They are the indigenous population sharing this city with us. <laughs> so we want to be kind to them. What is really going on if we harbor resentment? What is going on if we harbor resentment? Now, I didn't say we had an attitude of resentment we dealt with, but we harbor resentment. We harbor unforgiveness jealousy anger bitterness frustration impatience whatever against another one in christ well just very patently you remember what jesus said as you've done it unto the least one of these my brethren you've done it unto me so if you are harboring any of these kinds of unrighteous feelings and emotions oh you're not harboring them you're just not you know tiffany bath I don't like her, so I just don't get around her very much. I kind of, good morning, how you doing? I don't like that lady. I don't like that lady. But I'm, I'm kind to her. Hello, Tiffany, how you doing this morning? Good to see you, honey child. Bye. And, then, and I leave her alone because she is an obnoxious female. I don't like her. <laughs> Gary, I don't like the woman. So I'm not bitter or angry or whatever. I just don't like you, but I'm staying away. Whatever it is, however we couch this, in our cultural clothing to make it look and sound and smell and feel good. We are doing it to the Lord Jesus personally. And if that's my feeling about this woman, then I'm saying to God the Father, I feel that way about you. Oh, no, I love Jesus. I love him. And yet if I have attitudes about her, I am a liar. Can anybody say amen? amen? I'm a liar. And God does not appreciate my lies of saying, hoo-ta-ta, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, you're going to see me dance and jump up in the front. I'm not making fun of doing that. I love doing it. But if I'm doing this and uh, in a bathroom and whatever, but, oh, Jesus, I, just, I need to stop that and fall on my face and repent and ask God to deal with me. Are you with me today? Oh, this is not a pleasant class today because it strikes us where we are and where we live. 
I mean, Ron, I have to deal with this. I don't like you. So you see, I have to kind of commend my love toward you, brother, because you are obnoxious. I don't like you. I have to tell you this. I have to tell you this. You know, you're saying, what kind of a guy is this? You know, we're just being, we're being honest. I had a husband, uh, the man and lady in my office doing some premarital counseling. And it was just the particular time I felt the Holy Spirit emphasizing deal with an issue in her. So I'm talking to her, chatting with her, and the guy sitting here. And his, his lip starts to go out. Now, the moment a guy's lip goes out, we need to throw books at him and, and throw things at him or throw up on him, something. Hmm. Women can pout, but not guys. So he says, hey, could I say something? I said, certainly. He says, I have a problem with what you're doing. Oh, really? He says, you're ignoring me. Oh, oh no, no, this is true. <laughs> you're ignoring me. And you're I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, may I, may I share something with you? Yes, please. And I leaned toward him, and I said, I don't like you. I've never liked you. I've known you all my life. Whatever. So are we okay now? Yes. Now, may I proceed? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what a deal, huh? Are we willing to say to Jesus, I don't want to be around you? How many of us are willing to say that? But when we say, I don't want to be around that woman, that man, that person, is that what we're saying to the Lord Jesus? Is it or not? Aren't these attitudes and expressions and feelings directly toward him? Because if you don't love my grandchildren and you pick on them and you attack them, you are more than touching me. You go up there and slap little Molly Tucker and see what that big daddy does to you. You go slap that little girl in the face, see what... See what Big Daddy does, right, Todd? He'll maul you. You see what I mean? Touch the child and what? You more than touch the parent. We're touching one another unrighteously. Let's be aware of this this morning. We don't want to do that. You see, in Christ, we have been given a lot of reasons to act unlovingly Sorry, God, we have given God a lot of reasons to act unlovingly to us, but he refuses to do so because he's forgiven us all our sin. Any other attitude gives Satan and sin opportunity to control us and to dominate us and to manipulate us and undermine the love of God in us. John says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You see, we live in a world that first hated Jesus and it hates God and it is going to hate us. So we're going to have to deal with that reality. And we are, even in the church, going to have to deal with the reality that because of fallenness and because we still live in fallen, corrupt bodies, there will be times and activities and seasons of this kind of animosity and unrighteousness among us. That is going to happen. But what do we do about it and how do we relate to it is more the question than hopefully it will never happen. It is. In this room, I would dare say there are levels and relationships among people people that should not be 
what do we do? Do we embrace and seek to love one another the way God has loved us? Or do we walk in that satanic deception of being led by my feelings and by my hurts and by my disappointments and by my whatevers, loving me and rejecting the one who has loved me into his kingdom, having paid the full price for all my sin at the cross. John says in 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. How do we know that? How do I know I'm saved? Because we love the brethren. Because there is in me, there is in you. I hope that every, in every one of us, there is that deep-seated desire and growing, developing love for one another. I have a much greater affection and love for the church today than I did 20 years ago. Much greater today than I did 20 years ago. That's the development of the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying us. So I don't say, well, is there anybody in the church I don't like, therefore I'm out of the kingdom? No. As God shows me these issues, hopefully my heart says, I'm going to do what God leads me to do by the Spirit to love that person. First, repenting of my sin. First, repenting of my sin. And I'm going to do whatever is needed to pursue love. Well, what happens if the person says, I am not interested in your love. I reject it, Bob. I just don't want it. I don't like it. We are not called to worry about or to be handling or burdened about the way others receive what God has us to give. That's their issue with God. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, remember Romans 5, 6, and 8, Christ died for us. While we were actively repudiating and rejecting and spitting in his face, Jesus loved us by dying. So ours is not to be concerned about the reaction or the reception. It's to be concerned about obedience. How do I know I'm successful in this? When I obey, I'm successful. Amen? Right? Are you with me today? Ours is not to be concerned. Well, but if they don't, or what if that? Suppose they twist it on me. That's not my category. My category is to love God and love the brethren as one issue, as one complete issue. So how do we know that we pass them out of death into life? Because we love the brethren. Whoever does not love the brethren abides in death. Such love in us for the brethren is a proof that we are the children of God who loves us without reservation. Whew. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. I think that's pretty patently obvious. I won't go into what that is. How many of you have committed murder in here? No, no, physical murder. Claude, your hand didn't go up? Oof. I wasn't sure about Claude Stoltz, you know. But what did Jesus say? If you hate your brother... What does he say? You have committed what? Murder. So all of us are guilty. But we've been forgiven in Christ. Amen? And a new, we've been 
we've been spiritually reconstituted. Reconstituted spiritually, brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creation. Now those people whom we used to hate and look down on and be prejudiced against. I mean, look, we got black folks in here. Oh, no, no, no. This wouldn't have happened a few years ago in the church. We got black folks in here. Look, there's two or three of them in here. We have foreigners in here. Where y'all from? Denmark? Holland. That's close. Yeah, you know, it's across the street. You know, we have foreigners in here. We even have Irishmen in here. And I'm English. I didn't know you were Irish. I didn't, yeah, I knew there was something about you I didn't like. No. We may have reason to hate. Aren't you glad God has forgiven us and is bringing us together as one body? Amen. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? See, I told you not to sit up in the front. You've been absent for four weeks in that other class. I told you you'd pay a price for that, didn't I? Everybody knows Ashton up here? Now we know him. Verse 16, John shows us how and to what extent we to love the brethren. Okay. So your question is this. How? How far do I go? How many of us have ever asked? Come on, let's be brutal. How, how many of us have ever asked, how far do I take this? Come on, only four people have ever asked that question, how far do I go? Do we need a, uh, a repentance line here? How far do I take this? You may have not verbalized it, but how many of you have had an attitude like this? I've done enough. How many have had that attitude? That you're asking, how far do I take it? How much do I put up with? How many more times? When is this going to stop? Will it never get better? That's just, anybody with me on these? Okay, more hands go up. Oh, all right, great. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life. To what extent? Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 44, 34. He says, a new commandment I'm giving you, that you love one another just or in the same way, just as or in the very same way. Might be nice if you put that in your Bibles. In the very same way as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. Okay. Just as I have loved you, what does it look like? What does Jesus' love look like? Just as he loved us. Listen to this. Just listen. Listen to these words. And as I'm reading to you, here's what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Do you want to know to what extent? Do you want to know how long? Do you want to know with what attitude? Do you want to know any of these answers? I'm going to read you the answers to all these questions. Here's the answer. And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became great drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he kept on falling to the ground, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. Then they spit in his face and they struck him in the face. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And having beaten Jesus, scourged him, they delivered him to be crucified. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Do we have a question left in our minds as to what extent we're to go? Does anybody have a question left in your mind about the extent that you should go? How far, how long, how much? After I've read this, anybody in here have any question about this issue? Or has the Word of God summarized it succinctly for us? But if anyone has this world's goods, you know, your stuff, and sees his brother in need, John is talking about a very practical way of demonstrating loving one another. And you see your brother in need, yet you close your heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? You see, our love is to be practical as well as theological. As God has come to meet our spiritual and physical needs in Christ, we also are to do the same for one another. And John concludes this way, little children, let us not love in word or talk only, but in deed and in truth. Why? Because this is the way God has loved us. You see, love that does not have hands and feet is not God's kind of love, which came to us in the hands and feet of his own son. Come back next week and we'll continue with what John is saying. Thank you so much. <clears throat>